So there have been a few times in my years of preaching, I've been preaching for over 20 years now in, in ministry, and, I, and I've that there's been a few times that instead of, you know, planning all of my sermon series in advance, that I've put out a, a survey or allowed people to request topics, kind of a hot topic series or have people ask specific questions that they want to see answered in the context of a sermon series and that I would then cover in a Sunday morning message or a midweek message for students. And in every single case that I have done this, one of the top three requested topics every time was revelation or the rapture or the return of Jesus. People want to know about this. This is a topic that either they're curious about or they just don't understand. And they want to hear some teaching on this matter. People want to know about the end of the world and what the Bible has to say about it. And it makes sense. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to learn about the end of the world, who better to learn it from than the one who was there when it began and who knows what's going to happen uh, when it ends. And so there's really not a better place to look than the Word of God. Uh, I mean, you could always ask Hollywood. Hollywood seems to have a pretty good handle itself on what's going to happen at the end of the world. They've put out plenty of movies about the end of the world. It seems like every year we get a new one, uh, something about how the world's going to end. And if Hollywood has anything to say about it, uh, it's either going to be zombies or a giant asteroid, or a giant asteroid filled with zombies. Uh, that seals our fate as a planet. That's pretty much what's going to happen if you uh, watch movies or television series. Uh, I thought the world was going to end yesterday, actually. Uh, Melissa was sitting there talking with her friends about gardening. And, uh, and then the topic turned to cilantro. And she was saying how her cilantro wouldn't grow. We've got these little raised garden beds outside the house. And uh, Melissa was saying how her cilantro would not grow. And someone else said the same thing, that their cilantro just wouldn't grow right now. And then the story started flying around about how they couldn't find any cilantro at Sprouts. They couldn't find any at Walmart. It was out everywhere. And maybe no one can grow cilantro right now. Is there something wrong with cilantro? And, and now they had my attention, okay? I mean, you can talk about gardening all day long. And for the most part, all I hear are Charlie Brown's teachers going wah, 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 wah. You know, it doesn't mean a whole lot to me. I've checked out. But you start talking about cilantro going away and I am fully invested. Like you've got my attention now. And, and that's got to be the role of one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse though, right? I mean, killing off God's greatest herb gift to mankind, the incomparable cilantro. And so I, I was a little nervous there, um, but I, I recovered. I, I figured out this is probably just a blip on the radar and everything will be back to normal. If anybody has any insider info on what's happening with this glorious herb, please let me know. But these first century Christians were so convinced that Jesus was returning and it, it was today. I mean, they, they just knew he was coming back at any moment and they were freaking out because their relatives and their loved ones who had already died uh, and they were believers, they were wondering, are they going to miss out on what is to come? Are, are they going to, you know, just because they died, are, are they out of luck? They're not going to be able uh, to participate in what's happening. And so Paul was writing 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 to explain what would happen to those people that they cared about, to their loved ones who had died. And so we'll look at a big chunk of scripture and then we'll break it down and we'll see what it means for us today with regard to what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. So we're going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. 
And Paul writes this, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. And I want you to see here, Paul is ensuring that the church remembers that Jesus came to bring us life. That's why he came, to bring us life beyond this life. To bring us hope in the middle of hopeless circumstances. Because our hope doesn't depend on what happens to us in this life. I mean, here is the essence of Christianity as we continue here in verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. So Thessalonians, piece of trivia for you, was the first letter that Paul wrote chronologically. So of all the epistles that we have in the New Testament that Paul wrote, Thessalonians was his first letter. And Paul was intent on people knowing what was going to happen next, what they needed to be prepared for, that they could get ready for what was going to happen. And it's the same message to us today. It's not just to the Thessalonians, it's to us as well. The first thing we see here and that we really need to pay, take note of is this. When the Bible talks about the end of the world, what is more important than when? When the Bible talks about the end of the world, what is more important than when? And that's exactly the opposite of what most people care about. People are all hyped up about when. When is this going to happen? When is this going to take place? Um, you have books written on the subject of when. You have people preaching sermons about when and what's going to happen or, or when it's going to happen. And we focus so much on the when that we forget about what is going to happen. And that is what Paul is preparing his readers for. It's what. what when is inconsequential as long as you know the what. And, and the way, way to think about it is this. You'll be ready for the when if you act and live according to the what. When does it matter? if you know what is coming and you prepare yourself for it. When really does it matter? And so he wants us to know exactly what will happen when Jesus does return. Whenever it happens, whether today, tomorrow, or in a thousand years, the signs are important or the Bible wouldn't talk about them. So the Bible gives us signs, and that's for another message, uh, but of, of the return of Jesus and, and what the world's going to be like and what we can see happening around us. But the second coming itself is much more important than even those signs. And that's the first thing every one of us needs to be aware of. And Paul leads with this. And we can never let it be far from our minds that Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. Now, I know we're online right now and I can't hear any of you, but there better have been some audible amens from the room where you're sitting and watching this message 
when I said that. There are a few words that are more exciting than the words Jesus is coming again to those who have placed their faith and hope and trust in him. And so please, you know, that, that type of phrase, that type of reminder needs to be something that causes excitement. It causes joy to bubble out of our spirit when we hear those words that Jesus is coming again. And this isn't just Paul making some prediction out of nowhere. He's not just grabbing stuff out of the sky. Jesus himself told us that this was the case. In John 14, 3, Jesus says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. So Jesus said, hey, I'm coming back. Jesus says, I will return. I'm coming back. This was his Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'll be back moment. I'm not going to do an accent there because it would be atrocious. But in the early church, they were so excited about the return of Jesus that they actually had a greeting a custom greeting that they would use with each other. I mean, like when we see somebody, our greeting is super spiritual, right? When we run into somebody we know, it's like, hey, what's up, dude? What's going on? Or maybe just, you know, we just kind of do the head nod thing. All really strong spiritual encouragements, right? I mean, we're really focused on building one another up and, and encourage one another spiritually as we greet each other. But their greeting, when they would see each other, they would run into another Christian and they'd grab their hand and they'd say with faith, in their, with faith in their eyes, Maranatha is how they would greet one another. And what that means is Maranatha means our Lord is coming. Our Lord is returning. And they would greet each other with this phrase, Maranatha, our Lord is coming. And there was this deep sense of anticipation that Jesus was coming back. From Christian to Christian, Maranatha, he's coming back. Maranatha, he's coming soon. The return of Christ is something that every believer should be anticipating. The return of Jesus is something every believer should anticipate and get excited about. And not just a tip of the hat, not just an acknowledgement that it's going to happen someday, this is an eagerness, a hunger, a desire, a, a desperation for Jesus to come back and to take us home. In fact, there's a scripture in, in Paul's letter to Timothy that says this in 2 Timothy 4 verse 8. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And get this, and the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. All who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Are you eagerly looking forward to the return of Jesus? Is that how you would be described? The Bible says that he has a crown waiting for you, if so. The problem is that most people won't get that crown because we are so in love with this world that we don't look forward to the return of Christ. There are, I, I've met believers who, who have almost dread as they think about Jesus coming back. And, and that couldn't be further from what Paul is teaching us. Maranatha, he's coming back. Maranatha, Jesus is coming. And I'll pause for the amens to die down in the room there so you can hear the rest of the message. So Jesus is coming. But what is that going to be like? What should we expect when Jesus returns? Obviously, 
People weren't too observant when he came the first time, and Paul wants to make sure we're not going to get caught sleeping when he returns. So what happens when Jesus returns? Paul gives us six things that are going to happen based on this passage. And the first thing that Paul talks about is this sudden descent. Okay, 1 Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. The emphasis in the Greek here is very strong. Uh, it is the Lord himself who will descend. Jesus proper, God himself will descend. Not a substitute, not a stand-in, not a look-alike, not an angel, not a guest host or an Old Testament saint, not a figment of our imagination or some ghostly religious figure or just a projection. The Lord himself will return. He will bodily and personally return to earth. And so after Jesus had ascended into heaven, you know, the disciples were standing there. Jesus was crucified. He was buried. Three days later, he rose again. He was on the earth for 40 days teaching, hanging out with the disciples, uh, instructing his followers. And then he ascended back into heaven. And the disciples were standing there after they had finished watching Jesus go back to heaven. And they're just staring into the sky, mouths hanging open, just kind of staring at the clouds. Kind of a, okay, what do we do now? type of moment. And so two angels appeared then and told the disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 11, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking at the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And I love those three words, this same Jesus, this same Jesus, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, the one who walked the dusty roads of Galilee, who healed the sick, who raised the dead, preached the good news to the broken and to the lost. He was betrayed, tried, denied, condemned, whipped, crucified, buried in a borrowed tomb. On the third day, he rose again. And 40 days later, he ascended into heaven, where for 2,000 years, he has been seated at the right hand of God the Father. This same Jesus who was dismissed by many, he was mocked by some, he was hated by even more. This same Jesus, the head of the body, the Lord of the church, the creator of the universe, this same Jesus, the Lord himself will descend from heaven. The one who saved us, the one who redeemed us, the object of our prayers, the hope of every believer who is breathing their last breath, the one whose life and message that we testify to, this same Jesus is returning to the earth that rejected him. Once he came, when he was, when he was here the first time, he came as a lamb to the slaughter. And now he returns as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Once he was judged by men, now he comes to judge all of mankind. Once he was crucified, now he comes to be crowned. Once he was mockingly called the king of the Jews, now he comes as the king of kings, and no one will be mocking Jesus this time. This same Jesus is coming again. So we have this sudden descent that's going to happen when Jesus arrives on the scene. So what's going to happen after that? We have a loud shout a loud shout. 1 Thessalonians 4.16, with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, the Lord himself will come down. Remember God spoke and created the world. That voice, 
that spoke creation into existence is the ultimate in authority. There were times when God would whisper. This time when Jesus returns, what's going to happen? There will be a loud command and the voice of the archangel is going to shout and the trumpet of God will blare. Why? Because the greatest victory in the history of the world demands the greatest shout from our Lord. And I wonder what that command is going to be. You know, when Jesus, it's a commanding shout. I wonder if that command will be, come home. If that command will be, rise up. If that command will be, come and enter into your rest. I don't know what the command is, but Jesus is going to come with a commanding shout and we will obey. In the old days, whenever the king was coming to a village, the town crier would run ahead and he would shout, the king is coming, the king is coming, so people could get ready. In the same way, the king of kings is going to make his entrance known to the entire world. No one will miss this. The trumpet of God sounds, the archangel cries, the Lord shouts, and then one of those clickbait headlines, and you won't believe what happens next. Because what happens next is a little out of the ordinary, and that is a great resurrection. A great resurrection resurrection takes place. 1 Thessalonians 4.16, first the believers who have died will rise from their graves. The believers who have died will rise from their days, graves. And this is a statement of priority. Evidently, there were some people in Thessalonica who were worried that when Jesus returned, he would rapture the living, but leave the dead Christians in their graves. And Paul says, don't worry about it, guys. The dead in Christ, they rise first. Note the key word here. It is the believers who have died who are raised. This is only a resurrection of those who have put their faith in Jesus. The unsaved dead will be left in their graves. And I want you to think about this. Think of how many people we're talking about here who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus and who have died in the last 2,000 years and even prior to Jesus, those who were faithful to God and anticipated the coming of the Messiah all of these people who have placed their trust, their saving faith is in Jesus, in the Messiah. All those who have died will be raised in a moment. I mean, you got to imagine this is, we're talking billions of people who are raised at one time. Uh, this is, now this is where some people get confused um, because it appears to be, very clear in the scriptures that address this particular issue that there will be two resurrections. There's the first resurrection and the second resurrection, okay? There's the first resurrection and the second resurrection. The first resurrection is referenced here, and it's for those who are Christians who will be raised from the dead. Now, the second resurrection is for those who were not Christians when they died, who did not place their faith in Jesus. It's known as the resurrection of the dead, and they will be judged very differently. Okay, so there's two resurrections and two judgments. The Christians will be judged, and, and it's more in the sense of evaluated, at the Bema seat, uh, and they'll be judged for their good works, and they will be rewarded based on what they did it, with what God had entrusted to them in this lifetime. Okay, the non-Christians will be judged at the great white throne judgment. And the way I read the scripture, you will not appear before this great white throne with Jesus himself sitting on it 
if you've placed your faith and trust in him. Only those who reject Jesus in this life will be there and they'll be judged for their works, which will not be good enough uh, because Romans 3 is very clear and tells us, uh, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not one of us is good enough on our own. So they'll be judged for their works, which will not be good enough. And when their name is not found written in God's book, the Lamb's book of life, they will be punished eternally, separated from God and destined for a very real place called hell. That is where sin is going to be punished. And if we choose to deal with our sin ourselves and try to overcome our sin ourselves, we will not be able to escape that punishment for our sin. The only way to escape that punishment is through Jesus and what he's done for us. He paid the penalty already for us. And if we place our faith and trust in him, we will not have to stand before that great white throne of judgment. We're talking here in this passage about the first resurrection, the resurrection of those who are Christians. In fact, scripture talks about it this way in Revelation. It says this in Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. And if, if you are dead, this is, which none of you are, but if you are dead, this is the one you want to be in. For them, the second death holds no power. So if you're in the first resurrection, the second death holds no power. The second death. So if you're part of the first resurrection, the second death has no power over you. What does this mean? Someone said this, and I like the way it, it reads. It's a little confusing, but you'll get it once you kind of lean in. You can be born once and die twice, or you could be born twice and die once. Okay? You can be born once and die twice, or you could be born twice and die once. What does that mean? Well, all of you have been born one time. That involves your mama, a lot of pain, and a big hospital bill. Okay? If you're only born one time, you will die twice. You would die a physical death, and then you would stand before God and you would die an eternal spiritual death and you'd die twice. The good news though, is that if you're born twice, you only die once. Now, some people would ask, how in the world can you be born twice? Some of you know, you know, we just covered the first birth, but then Jesus, when he was here, said to Nicodemus in John chapter three, he said that a person can be born again. You could be born a second time. And Nicodemus, of course, asked, how is that? Can we enter back into our mother's womb? And, and, you know, Jesus basically explained, no, you're born spiritually. You had a physical birth and now you have a spiritual birth. When you invite Jesus to be your savior and your Lord, what happens is you are spiritually born anew. You are born again. Your old life is gone. It's forgiven. It's transformed. Uh, you are made completely new in that moment. And there are some people in life, maybe you've heard the expression, who go around and they say YOLO, okay? Or they post hashtag YOLO. If you know what YOLO means, go ahead and say it out loud right now. Show off to your friends that you are, you are current on the jargon, okay? Uh, yes, YOLO is you only live once. That's what people say before they do something really stupid. Okay, <laughs> you only live once, so I'm going to do something completely stupid. Um, if you're a Christian, you can say YODO. You know what that is? You only die once. Okay, <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to die twice. Um, so after this resurrection that takes place, which is going to be a sight to behold, then we have the left behind moment. Okay, and that is a glorious rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 says this, Then together with them, that is the dead in Christ who have been resurrected, 
we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds. Now the phrase caught up, okay, it comes from a Greek word harpazo, uh, and it means to be seized, to be snatched away. It means to be rescued. It always implies a change of location. Okay, you are rescued and taken out of a dangerous situation and brought to a place of safety. In this case, it means the living believers will be literally lifted off the earth. When Jesus returns, millions of his followers all over the world will be gone like that. One generation, there will be one generation who will never see death. They will never experience death on this earth. One generation will never visit the undertaker. One generation will be raptured. They will be lifted up off the face of the earth. Uh, all my life, I have wanted to skydive. It's been a dream of mine since I was in college. I wanted to jump out of an airplane. I was too poor before I got married, didn't have the money, stupid debt. We've talked about that. I was too poor before I got married, and now that we're a little better situated in life, I could probably afford it now. Melissa's told me I'm not allowed to jump out of a plane until our kids are grown. Uh, and you know the story, we just kept having kids. So maybe I just need to wait. Uh, if Jesus comes back in my lifetime, I'll get to do skydiving in reverse, which is gonna be so much more cooler. Uh, so I will, I will wait on that one. Um, but there are generally four different beliefs about this rapture. And people debate this back and forth. It's been debated for a long time by people a whole lot smarter than I am. Uh, I have my personal belief on this, uh, but there are people who have different perspectives. There's pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, and pan-trib. And I'll explain those to you. Pre-trib, pre-tribulational rapture, uh, would be those who believe that Christians are rescued before the great tribulation, which is described in the Bible as seven years of the worst punishment and the worst experiences the world has ever known. Okay. That the, the pre-tribulational rapture people believe that Christians are rescued before the tribulation, before things get really, really bad. Then there's mid-trib people. People believe that Christians are rescued in the middle of the seven-year tribulation before the second half, which is far worse than the first half. Uh, then there's post-trib people, those who believe that they're rescued after the tribulation has already ended. And then there's uh, a group of people known as pan-trib. And that's those who really don't know but believe that it's all going to pan out in the end. That's kind of a joke. That's not really a theolo theological position. But my personal belief is I, I tend to believe in a pre-tribulational rapture in large part because of this verse that God in his goodness, harpazo, he rescues us, he takes us away, he snatches us out from the danger before the danger starts. Um, and so there are, you know, there's different scriptures that support different timelines. And so you're welcome to pursue those and examine those. As I talked about at the beginning, the when is not as important as the what. The what is far more important. So you know what's happening. So you can be ready for whenever it happens. In fact, Jesus describes it this way. This is pretty intense in Matthew 24, verse 39. And I want you to pay careful attention to this because this is how Jesus says it will happen. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. And that is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So you too must keep watch 
Another translation, you must be alert, be on guard, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. And so listen, if you are a believer in Jesus, this is really serious stuff that he is returning, that the trumpet will sound and you have to be ready because it can happen at any time. And when it does, in our context, it might mean this. Two people are sitting at the computer typing away. One is taken and the other left. It could be that there's a whole family eating dinner at the table and three are taken and three are left. It could literally be at church, two people sitting side by side, one is taken and the other is left. So be ready, be ready, be prepared. Be doing the work of the Lord, sold out for him, not with half-hearted, do just enough to not feel guilty religion, but with a real relationship with Jesus. That's what matters because Maranatha, our Lord is coming. Maranatha, Jesus is coming back. How will it happen? In a moment, in the blink of an eye, scripture says. How fast is that? One-tenth of a second is how long it takes to blink your eye. Just like that, we will be here one moment and gone the next. We need to live like he is coming back today. And there have been countless books written on this. Uh, one of the more famous ones from my teenage years was a book called 88 Reasons Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. And a guy wrote this book and he had all these prophecies that supported his theory that 1988 was the year he had it down to the day October 4th 1988 was the most likely day that Jesus was going to return apparently he missed the scripture verse that says no man knows the day or the hour um, so but he wrote this book anyway it was a bestseller and I, you know the teaching was everywhere people were talking about this book whether they believed it or not the talk was everywhere so October 4th was kind of this crazy day that hey you know, I, I'm not sure I believe this book, but well, I don't know, maybe. And so, you know, I'm sitting there and, and I think that he even had a time pinpointed and it was like, I don't know, 10.05 or something like that in the morning. I don't remember the exact time, but I remember I was in gym class. I was in PE when this was supposed to happen. This was the, the day, this was the hour and I'm in PE and at the end of class, you get lined up and we sit back in our rows and we're waiting. Uh, and, and then, you know, you have, you get sent back to the locker room to get changed early so you can, uh, you know, be ready to go to your next class when the class periods change. And we're sitting there in the gym and I'm watching the clock and at 10.05, all of a sudden, boop, this big bell, the changing bell sounds for us to go back to the locker room. I nearly jumped out of my skin because I thought... <laughs> For some reason, I thought the changing bell was what the trumpet call of God sounds like. I think I have that messed up, but I was freaked out and it was, it was a great moment. Um, the incredible, Jesus didn't come back October 4th, 1988, just in case you were wondering. And the incredible irony is that the author of this book wrote a sequel about why Jesus didn't come back in 1988. And it also became a bestseller. I mean, come on, people. Like, seriously, you buy the first book, okay. You buy the second one, you've got some issues. Um, but he made quite a bit of money on that. But the rapture is real. And one day Jesus is coming back. And on the other side of that incredible moment is one that's arguably even more incredible. And that is a joy-filled meeting. 
we have a joy-filled meeting to look forward to. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 We'll be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. I want you to stop and think about this moment. We will see Jesus face to face in person. We will be with him. And I love that the Bible tells us that we will meet the Lord in the air. Jesus doesn't want to wait till we get to our final destination, wherever we're going. Our meeting is going to take place immediately. He, the trumpet sounds, Jesus calls, we rise up, and we have our reunion right there in the air. He's anticipating our reunion as much as we are and cannot wait to be with us face to face. I can't even imagine what that moment will be like. I mean, in this life, pursuing Jesus in prayer, honoring him in the way that I live, passionately worshiping him, that's what my life strives to be now. But to see him, to be with him, I mean, what a day that will be. I tried to think of an adjective to put there. What an incredible day, what an amazing day, what a fantastic day. There is no adjective I could think of that sums it up appropriately. And so that's why even, you know, the, there's the old gospel song that says, what a day that will be when my Jesus I will see. And, and I, I think about that. There probably is no adjective that you can use there. So it's just what a day, because that's really what it comes down to. I cannot wait for that day. And then think about this. The last thing that I want to share with you about what's happening is we have a massive reunion a massive reunion. I want you to note of Paul's use of the word, we will be caught up, we will meet him, we will be together with him. This is the ultimate family reunion, church. All of God's children from across the centuries, from every nation, will be together at last with Jesus. Now, initially, I don't think we're gonna care. I mean, I can't wait to see, you know, some of my friends and family who have gone to be with the Lord already that love Jesus. I can't wait to see them. But in that moment, when I'm face to face with Jesus for the first time, I'm not even going to know they're there. I'm not going to care that they're there. But then I know that I will because we have eternity to be together. And there will be this massive reunion that takes place. This is our hope to be together with Jesus and to be together with Jesus Death is not the end for his followers. It's only an incredible beginning, the beginning of forever, the beginning of eternity, forever in the presence of Jesus and with those that we've had to say goodbye to and with those that we never even met. You know, some of those biblical characters that you've been wondering what they were really like, you're gonna get the chance to find out. But that's what the return of Jesus is going to be like. And that's why Paul ends the passage the way he does. In 1 Thessalonians 4.18, Paul says this, So encourage each other with these words. Guys, the return of Jesus was never meant to be something dreadful. It's not meant to be something to spook us or to creep us out or to, to make us wary of. This is something to anticipate. This is something to lean into. This is something to pray that it happens in our lifetime. We will be with him forever. Those are the words. Paul says, encourage each other with these words. I want to let this sink in. When this happens, you will be with the Lord for how long? Forever. I want you to think about what that means. 
You'll be with the Lord forever. What does that mean? It means no more pain, no more sin, no more heartache, no more brokenness, no insecurity, no more disease, no more sickness, no abuse, no more poverty, no more starving children, no more divorce, no more loneliness, no more cancer. You will be with the Lord forever. And if there's any sort of tear, he will wipe away your tears and you will never mourn again. You will be with the Lord forever. Maranatha. Comfort each other with these words. Maranatha, our Lord is coming back. So what does this mean for us? How do we apply this? Let me share a verse from 1 Corinthians, another letter of Paul's, where he talks about this same topic and he, he talks extensively about this. And at the end of a section where he talks about Jesus coming back, he ends with this in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Remember the context. This is after he talks about Jesus coming back. He says, so my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. It's never in vain. So how do we do that? Serve him, praise him, worship him, live generously, share his love, live with intensity. If Jesus were coming back next Tuesday and you knew that, how would you live today? That's how you should live every day because Jesus could come back Tuesday. And that's why the when is not as important as the what. We know what is going to happen and we should live accordingly, not for the unimportant things of this world, but for the things that matter the most. He's returning. Maranatha, what would you do if he was coming back? You'd worship him. You'd live righteously. You'd share your faith. You'd be serious about your commitment to Christ. But what do we have filling too many churches today? We have too many laid back, apathetic, worldly, church going people because we've forgotten the good news. Maranatha, our Lord is coming. You can live a life that won't count in eternity or you can live for the Lord today and bring glory to Jesus, the one who is coming back for you. Maranatha, our Lord is coming. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are coming back. God, your, your life on this earth was miraculous to say the least. You lived a perfect life. You taught us and you showed us what it means to, to follow the teachings of the scriptures and how that should be lived out and what your kingdom looks like when it's lived out. Then you gave your life willingly. You surrendered it for us. So Jesus, we want to thank you for that. We thank you that you've made a way for us to be forgiven. And if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to forgive you or you know you need to, I encourage you right now just to whisper a prayer and say, Jesus, would you forgive me? I need you to forgive me and I want to live for you. And he will. But Jesus, we thank you for that. We thank you that you've forgiven us. And now, Jesus, we just look ahead to the future and ask God that uh, you would help us to live ready for your return. 
Jesus, we thank you that you're coming back, that you haven't abandoned us, you haven't left us, but you're active in our lives now, but you are coming back to take your church home. And Jesus, we cannot wait for that day, that miraculous, glorious day when you will return and rapture your church and we will rise to be with you forever. God, I pray that you would help us to live appropriately with that in mind. God, let that, let that encourage us. Let that strengthen us. Let that inspire us. Let that truth change the way we live, not out of fear, but out of excitement and anticipation. That God, we would, we would have the house ready for the return of the Lord. And Jesus, we want you to come back. We want to be ready for it. And God, we want to help as many people to get ready as we can. We thank you, Lord. Help us to live that way today for this week. God, let us live that out. We love you. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen.